Those thousands of sacrificed lives were not given in vain. Because of their sacrifice, we are free today. And we have the right to assemble ourselves together and worship our God. Tomorrow, this nation will pause. And we will give honor where honor is due. We'll reflect on the men and women who so valiantly gave their lives for our freedom. And at the center of the memorial are memories of struggle, suffering, but most especially the sacrifice. The tombstones of these soldiers tell the story of determination and decision. The walls that we've erected in respect to these noble soldiers speak of commitment and they speak of courage. So my question this morning is what is in a memory? Is it not the pictures that penetrate our minds of something that is already past? Is it not frames that hold our thoughts captive in reflection and appreciation? Do you see the faces of those in battle this morning? The distraught yet destined look in the portraits that history has afforded us to maintain. This is a day of not only honoring the survivor, this is a day that we honored those who sacrificed. Is it not really for those who made it, but for those who did not? The ones that secured the way for those who did. So I submit to you, the power is not in the memorial. The power is in the memory. The power is in the memory. Why a Memorial Day? It is for those yet to come to understand what it took for them to enjoy what they already have. That's in reflection to our nation. The greatest nation on the planet Earth is the United States of America. If you love your nation, would you stand to your feet and give a good round of applause for the United States of America? I want you to shout it as loud as you can. God bless America. Amen. And then you can be seated. And when we bring that to church, we would say it on this wise, Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his life for your freedom. Jesus sacrificed his life for your freedom. That memorial is a picture of a cruel cross, but also of an empty tomb. And today we not only celebrate the United States of America on this Memorial Day and all those who sacrificed their lives for our freedom, but most importantly, we celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords who made the ultimate sacrifice that we can live forever. Somebody shout praise the Lord. Mark chapter 14. I'm going to read a few verses. I'm going to get you home so you can be sure your ribs can be repaired, prepared for tomorrow. Mark chapter 14, 
I told Josh this morning that I'm going to attempt to do a miracle today. What is that? I'm going to attempt to preach in 20 minutes. If that happens, you'll know there is a God in heaven. And you'll know he still works miracles. But I'm going to attempt it. Mark chapter 14, verse number 1. After two days was the feast of the Passover of the unleavened bread. And the chief priest and the scribes sought how they might take him by craft and put him to death. But they said, not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar of the people. Listen carefully. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious. And she broke the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation, circle that word, within themselves and said, why was this waste, why was this waste of ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said three words. Let her alone. Why trouble her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Look at your neighbor and tell him your worship works on him. You didn't say it like you meant it. Say it like you mean it. Your worship works on him. She has wrought a good work on me. For you have the poor with you always. And whensoever you will, you may do good to them. But me, you don't have always. Somebody shout, don't miss an opportunity. She has done what she could. She has come aforehand to anoint my body to the bearing. Verily I say unto you, whosoever, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. I'm going to preach a message this morning called There's a Memorial in the Message. Can you say that with me? There is a memorial in the message. In this text, this lady's worship became part of his work. What she did was part of what he was about to do. Boy, that's powerful. If you only knew that your worship has a way of preceding his hand. What are you saying, Pastor Rick? There's something about worship that activates God. Hmm. How do we know this? Because the keys are given to us. That whatever we bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Heaven does not move until we move. So could it be possible that when we worship, God goes to work? When we worship, we activate him. When you lift your hands in praise and tell him thank you, does he inhabit the praises of his people? We all know he does. When you read the gospel of Matthew, 
The story that precedes this story is the story of the Good Samaritan. The story is stopped with works for your neighbor. Faith without works is dead. Love your neighbor is the theme of the story of the Good Samaritan. It's about love going this way. It's about working to help your fellow man. But as soon as that story ends, this story is told. This story is not about work. This story is about worship. This story is not about love for your neighbor. This story is about love for God. Someone said to worship is to quicken the conscience to the holiness of God. To worship is to feed the mind with the truth of God. To worship is to purge the imagination by the beauty of God. To worship is to open the heart to the love of God. To worship is to devote the will to the purpose of God. Someone else said an ounce of worship is an unsuitable acknowledgement for an ocean of mercy. An ounce of worship is an unsuitable acknowledgement for an ocean of mercy. Worship is the most momentous, the most urgent, the most glorious action that can take place in your personal life. God wants worshipers before he wants workers. Indeed, the only acceptable worker are those who have learned the lost art of worship. The very stones will praise him if the need arises and a thousand legions of angels will leap to do his will because they know what worship means. For worship is a thirsty land crying out for rain. It is a candle in the act of being kindled. Worship is a drop in quest of the ocean. Worship is a voice in the night calling God for help. Worship is a soul standing in awe before the mystery of the universe. Worship is that time where eternity flows through our life. Worship is a man climbing the stairs of the altar of God. Worship is when you forget about yourself and you concentrate on him. Worship separates you from the problem and puts you in his presence. Worship magnifies you and minimizes your issue. Worship mag maximizes him and minimizes you. It's all about God. Worship says, it's all about you, God. Worship says, I thank you, not for what you've done, but for who you are. You want to talk about memorials? Let's talk about them. I'm just going to encourage you, and we're going to go home. The first memorial ever given in Scripture is given in the book of Exodus when God tells Moses, my name is, I am that I am and this shall be a memorial for all generations I am that I am is the first memorial in all of scripture if you want to know the first memory that God instituted in the earth in relation to his presence it is this my name is I am that I am in other words nothing changes me my word is immutable. My character cannot be altered. 
I am that I am. Somebody ought to thank God for that. He says to the prophet Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. I am that I am. I am in control. I am sovereign. I'm the final authority. I am the Lord. I am the creator. I am the maker. Nothing that is made without me, without me could be made. Somebody ought to thank him that he is that he is. So he says, I am that I am. So when I'm preparing this, I got it all prepared, see. And I sent it to Pastor Josh to put it on my laptop. I'm on my way to church, Vicky. And God says, hold on just a minute. I told Giovanna, I said, get your phone out. She said, all right. And River was not crying at this particular moment. She said, what do you need, baby? I said, the Lord's speaking to me three words. She said, what are they? I said, I need you to look up the word intentional. Look it up. She looked it up and she said, baby, it means this, deliberately done or done on purpose. My mind went right back to this story. And I started thinking about the house. See, the house is called the house of Simon with a tag. Simon the leper. It didn't just say Simon. It could have just said Simon the Pharisee. But no, it said Simon the leper. How many of you know that sometimes it takes a while to get a tag off you? When people label you, they want to leave you with that label. You know, Ricky the mm, whatever it is. But they want to leave that label on you. I've told you this before. God has an incredible way of jerking tags off people. But sometimes he'll leave that tag there as a reminder to you and those who have watched you of how good he's been to you. And let them know if he's done it for you, he can do it for them too. Maybe that's why Hebrews chapter 11 still calls Rahab the prostitute. Because sometimes God will leave a tag there as a memory. Simon the leper, which means he has been cleansed of his leprosy. He owns the house. So now she has invited herself into a house where somebody has been cleansed. Can I submit a question to you? Is this a house? Where somebody has been cleansed? Let me ask it another way. Is there anybody in this house that has been cleansed? Then if you've been cleansed, can you take 10 sanctified seconds and thank him for cleansing you? He is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I need about three or four people to give God praise for all he has cleansed you from. Now let me, let me, just, let me just go with this right here. 
intentional, deliberately done, or done on purpose. We could say it done in purpose, done with purpose, done on purpose, done in purpose, done with purpose. Baby, just text me if he gives you any trouble. Intentional, done on purpose, done in purpose, done with purpose. So the idea preceded the action. So intentional is a premeditated idea. Something stands out to me about this lady and it is this, she was not invited into this house. She just showed up. Ecclesiastes 3.1, to everything there's a season. But there's a time for every purpose under heaven. So things operate according to seasons. But time, purpose, operates according to time. So purpose is only effective in time. Purpose ain't working in eternity. Eternity don't need purpose. Time needs purpose because time is the capsule that God inserted into eternity to accomplish his will. You are a parenthetical being. Your birth certificate is when you checked into time. Your death certificate is when you check out of time. Your parenthetical in eternity and your parentheses is called time. You're in a capsule. Some of y'all are looking at me like a mule looking at fresh alfalfa hay. Think about it. You were born for eternity. You live in time. Time has kairos and chronos. Chronos is the running of time that never stops. Kairos is the appointments, events, and experiences designated for time. You met someone and it changed your life. That was an appointment. That was a Kairos moment. I've learned something. There are no memorials built without special moments. If you miss the moment, you never build a memory. The guys that have hung out with me for years, we had this saying among us all the time. Let's make a memory. Let's do something we'll never forget. That's adventurous. That's exciting. Stop living a mundane life. Stop living like you're going to just see what happens. Make something happen. Build a memory. Build a memorial. And this old girl, can I call her an old girl? This old girl right here in Mark 14, decided, I'm going to make a memory. I'm fixing to walk into somebody's house I wasn't even invited to. 
and I'm fixing to jack up their whole world. See, it's kind of like church. We have set appointments called Sunday morning service. Kairos moments that we've established. We're going to meet with God and he's going to meet with us. It's not the duty that we're missing. It's the extremity that we're missing. We don't come to disturb the atmosphere. We come to sit in the atmosphere. Are y'all in the building? But I believe God's going to raise a generation of old girls. People like this one right here. It says, when I get in that house today, I'm going to do something that everybody's going to have to take note of. Real worshipers change environments. Real worshipers are like that old boy. That's the leper in Mark chapter, in Matthew chapter 8, where he leaves the crowd and he worships him. And he screams out, hey, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus touched him and said, not only can I, I will. Watch this. Which means he created his own kairos. He built his own memorial. He broke loose from the pace of the crowd. And he said, I'm going to dare worship him and see what he might do. See, you can sit in here and walk the pace of all these other people. You can stand with your hands down. You can observe everybody around you to see who's here and not here, not here, or see what they're wearing and not wearing, and to see this and that. Or you can come in here like a leper. Or you can come in here like this old girl and say, I didn't come in here to just sit around and hear another cute message. I came in here because I'm going to worship God at a level I've never worshipped. If I do, watch this, then the confusion about his will leaves me. Y'all just missed that right there. Notice what he said. He never said I will until he worshiped. Jesus never said I will until a man worshiped. Some of y'all are wanting your, his will, but you won't let loose of your worship. God, I want your will in my life. And he's saying, where's your worship? God, I want to know your will. And he's saying, where's your worship? I leave it there. So that, you know, that's the first word. I'll just share it with you like it came to me in, in the truck coming over here. That's the first word God dropped on me was Intentional. Yeah, it's going to come with a dessert too. Just what? Got appetizer, meal, and dessert. And sweet tea. All right. So that's intentional. All right. Y'all with me? So what was the lady? She was intentional. She went in to do a thing. The question is, what did you come here to do today? I'll leave it there. Because you want something from him. And we have raised a church in this generation that has taught you just sit there and God will give you everything you need and everything you want. We've taken all the work off of you. And Jesus called her worship work. He says she has wrought a good work on me. What people don't understand is that your worship works on God. You want to know what works? Worship works. Prayer works. Jesus said when you pray, Pray like this. Take note of that. He didn't say if you pray. He said when you pray, things happen. Denoting the idea that if you don't pray, nothing happens. Prayer works. Prophecy works. 
Many people believe that prophecy is foretelling the future. Prophecy isn't just foretelling the future. That's prediction. Prophecy really is telling forth the future. So whose job is that? Not God's job. It's your job. You wake up every day and say, this is going to be a good day. Why? Because I'm putting words in my atmosphere. And my words form my world. So if you get up and say, it's going to be a horrible day, you just prophesied the next 24 hours. But if you wake up and say, the next seven days of my life, I'm going to meet important people, I'm going to go to important places, and I'm going to do significant things, then guess what your week is going to look like? Your week is going to look like your words because prophecy works. That's what Ezekiel did in the Valley of Dry Bones. He told them bones what to do, and they did it. Prayer works, prophecy works, and worship works. He says this work she's doing is doing me some good. Next word God dropped on me. Number one was intentional, Vicki. The second one was indignation. Did you notice that in the text? What did it say? Some of the people, notice this, Christian, this is really cool, in the room became indignant. Now, that's what Mark says, because Mark is a nice guy. Mark learned to be nice. Because he wasn't always nice, but Mark learned to be nice by his experience with Paul. But I'll leave that another time. But watch this. He says, some people in the room became indignant. Matthew ain't so nice, because he's a tax collector anyway. He got a way of going back. Matthew says, the disciples in the room became indignant. The disciples in the room, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. This is the people that ought to know. Y'all with me right now? This is the people that ought to appreciate what this woman is doing. Indignation or indignant, anger or annoyance, provoked by what is perceived to be unnecessary. It means to be moved or altered by the feeling of indignation. And it is expressed, the root word, is the folding of the arms. Study, do the etymology yourself. The disciples did this when she was worshiping Jesus. You know, where's that little baby that comes up here during worship? And she runs around, and I see some of y'all so worried about that little girl. Oh, my Lord, there goes the little girl again. There goes the little girl, and I can see some of y'all. And y'all looking at mama like, will you take the little girl? Will you take the little girl? And I'm saying, leave the little girl alone. Let the little girl learn that the altar is a beautiful place to be. Let her dance. Let her long to be on the stage. Let her long to hold the microphone. And the Bible says that the disciples folded their arms and looked at the woman in indignation. And notice what they said. Why this waste? Have you ever heard that phrase? 
Here's how we say it. We don't say why this waste. We say it like this. It don't take all that. Pastor Rick, you are way too emotional. Too loud and too extreme. It don't take all that. It's a waste. That's a waste. It don't take all that energy. It don't take all that shouting. It don't take all that sweating. It don't take all that passion. But here's the separation and the the distinction or the polarization between two people. One has their arms folded. The other is worshiping. Now watch this. The old saints used to say, you don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. I'm about to work on you. I'm about to work on you. How? And then, they, and then look, that song gets real personal. It says, you can't tell it. Let me tell it. Why? Because it ain't your story. It's my story. You don't know like I know what the Lord has done for me. You don't know that as a teenager, I watch my dad come home every day with an empty bottle of Jack Daniels. You don't know what I've seen in my family. You don't know if, if you gave your testimony, you would want to put a bag over your head before you told it. Because if you told your whole testimony, we all got embarrassing moments. Oh, I'm preaching to you better than you talking back to me. I just came in here to talk for a minute. But here's the thing. You let somebody, we have tried to theologize, I just made that word up. This phrase from Jesus for centuries, when Jesus said these words, Lord, I feel my help, I I did not come to do this today. He, He said these words, he that has been forgiven much, loveth much. We have tried to really dumb that down to what well, Jesus didn't mean it just really just like that. That's exactly how he meant it. Everybody wasn't born in church. There's some people in here like this guy right here. My shadow didn't darken the door of a church till I was 15 years old. I was raised in bar rooms. So if I'm a little radical, please forgive me because if it was not for God who reached down in the mud of Louisiana and snatched me out of the miry mud of that state, I would be in prison just like my nephew, just like my cousins. Lord have mercy. I'm trying to get you to really think about all that God has done for you. And the next time you see somebody crossing their arms that you remember this. Don't forget this. I'm about to give it to you straight now. Are y'all ready for this? Indignation. Why did they get mad? They called it a waste. It was extreme. She affected the whole environment. That's a strong statement. That one worshiper can shift the entire atmosphere. That's a statement, man. One worshiper 
can shift the entire atmosphere. Here's what people refuse to learn, and I've been trying to teach people this for the last 20 years, and they don't get it. I'm going to teach you one more again. Y'all mind me being country today? I feel my country roots coming on here. Let me show you something. There is a difference in monetary value and relative value. Monetary value is the price on the tag. Just because it's the price on the tag, that does not equate the value it is to me. Watch what I'm saying. The difference is who owns it. If both of y'all are buying it, it's monetary value. But when you own it, it's relative value. So I don't care what your appraisal says of what I own. Y'all just missed that right there. I don't care if your appraisal makes you go, it ain't worth all that. It ain't yours. My worship is not yours. My worship is according to the relative value that I have placed on what God has done in my life. And my relative value may be a lot higher than your relative value. But you're not going to talk me out of what God, you're not going to negotiate me out of what God, you're not going to lower the value of what God has done in my life. So my appreciation of what I own begins to increase yearly, daily, weekly, hourly. I don't suffer depreciation of my salvation. The longer I live for him, the more I appreciate everything he's done for me. Oh, Lord, have mercy. So they became indignant, and here's what got them. Everybody say brokenness. I have never seen a real worshiper that doesn't go through a season of brokenness. Really, everybody talks about what she brought in, Anita. Everybody says she brought that box of ointment. You know, it wasn't what she brought in. It's what she let out. It's not what you brought in here. It's what you let out while you in here. We don't even know the substance of the container until it's broken. You don't even know what's in you until you've been broken. That's why the Bible says God is close to those who have a broken heart, a contrite spirit. Brokenness is attractive to God. This is not. This is closed. This is judging. This is speculation. When you real broken, you don't come in church like this. When you really ready to show God everything that's in you, you come in here like this here. You say, God... I done tried to fix it myself, and I can't fix it. Here's the shame of it. And I'm going to just say this one thing, and I'm going to move on, because I know I'm, this is going to gut punch you, see. But here it is. We call closed hearts maturity. 
If you was really mature, you wouldn't have to do all that. If you was really seasoned, if you've served him as long as I have, honey, you ain't got to cry no more. You ain't got to lift your hand. You ain't got to go through no broken seasons. Let me tell you something. When you're that closed, there's nothing coming out of you and there's nothing getting in you. You can't receive stuff when you're closed. Go ahead on and preach, Pastor Rick. So here's my question. Oh, you've been saved so long you can't cry no more? You've been saved so long you can't lift your hands? You've been saved so long you can't hit this altar? You've been saved so long you can't weep in the presence of God? And you call that maturity? I call that dry land. I call that dry. I call that dry. You dead. And here's the thing. And here's, here's the deal about the whole story. Everything that happened in the story came from her. There's two kinds of people. There's those that are talk about it and those that touch it. She didn't come in to talk about him. She came in to touch him. They came in to talk about him. And they're talking about him turn to talking about her. Why? Only because she was touching him. People ain't never going to talk about you until you start touching him. When you start getting radical about I'm going to touch God today. Now notice something. What she did is totally uncustomary. Monica, do you know this, Monica? This ain't even right. The right way is to put the oil on his feet. This girl broke every tradition. She said, I'm going to his head. She anointed his head. That is a sign of, I want your lordship in my life. I'll quit. Everyone say intentional. Indignation. Now watch this. The last word. And this one came to me on Indian Hills. Right here when I turn left. I said, baby, one more word. She said, what is it, baby? I said, I hear the Lord saying, intervene. I said, oh, okay, all right. So I said, look it up. So here's what Giovanna told me. To come between as to prevent or alter a result. Or to alter the course of events. The Message Bible recites this story in Matthew 26, Vicki. Instead of Jesus saying, let her alone, the Bible says, and Jesus intervened you got it in other words Jesus stood between her and the religious people he got between his worshiper and his religious people and I love what he said when he intervened because if y'all have y'all's way y'all gonna be trying to wipe oil off the floor and put it back in the box. If y'all have y'all's way, we're gonna weld the box back together after we get the oil back in it. If you have your way, everything she poured out, we putting back in there. So before you can stop her pour, I'm gonna get between y'all and you not gonna be able to affect her. And he did it with three words. Leave her Alone, And when the Lord spoke that to me on Indian Hills, I heard God say, tell my people, 
I'm about to tell everything that is messing with them to leave them alone. That'll make an unsaved person get up, John. Woo! Leave her alone. I dare you to get some authority in your voice and jump up and shout at the devil, leave me alone. I dare you to shout it three more times. Come on. Leave me alone. Come on. One more time. Have you ever gone into worship? Now, I don't know when y'all worship, you know. Some of y'all just worship here. You know, and that's cool. That's cool. That's cool with me. But worship is so vital in my life. My wife will tell you. I get up at the same time every morning. Don't matter if it's Sunday or Monday, Tuesday or Wednesday. I'm getting up at four. And I'm going in my office. And I'm either going to get my guitar off the wall or either I'm going to turn on C.C. Winans. Most likely it's going to be Fred Hammond because he just does it for me. You know, I'm talking about old school Fred too. I'm not talking about nothing else. I'm talking about old school Jesus be a fence all around me every day. You know, God will do what he said he would do. He'll stand by it. When that boy breaks loose with that right there, boy, I'm gone. I've heard it a thousand times. I'm still gone. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. He starts singing. And I start singing with him. And I can't, I sing like Alfalfa from our game. That's how I sound. But I sing it to the top of my lungs. And Giovanna laying in that bed with River Ricky. And she'll get up every now and then and say, I heard you worshiping. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you ever go into that moment and your mind starts thinking about so-and-so? And in a minute, you're going like this here. You're just following your mind. And you're all in the entertainment room. And you ain't got no business. You know what you call that? A distraction. Distraction is loss of traction. A distraction is an inappropriate attraction. If it wasn't attractive, you would have never looked. And when you are distracted, you lose momentum. When you lose momentum, you don't build memorials. I don't have one memorial in my life, Pat, that when I was 15, I gave my life to Jesus. I can tell you it was at Bethany Baptist Church on Plank Road in Baker, Louisiana, and the man preaching was true at Murphy. I can tell you because I know all about that night, but that ain't the only memorial I have in my life. Watch this. There are many times that I can recall that I said, you know what? I'm going into worship right now. And God touched me and changed my life. I remember one time laying on my bedroom floor and crying in worship to God. And I started at 10 at night. I saw the sun come up. And when I got up, the whole carpet 
was wet like somebody poured a bottle of water out. Some of you are saying, I've never experienced anything like that. My question to you is why? How? How could you miss opportunities to open that alabaster box and give God your very best worship? Because right then, he tells all of the distractions in your life, leave him alone. What he's doing is working with me. And you get up and it looks like somebody's turned the light on. Everything is clear and clean. And there are people in this room that you're in a place in your life where you need God to touch you. And you're saying, touch me, God. Touch me, God. And just like I said at Place for Life the other day, sometimes it ain't about God touching you. Sometimes it's about you touching him. And until you get intentional about it, you ain't never going to do it. And until you get past other people's opinions of you, when you go for it, you ain't never going to do it. But when you get a made-up mind, I don't care what you and Susie and Uncle Joe think about my worship. I'm going to worship God.